It is good to see each of you. If you are a guest this evening, it is an encouragement that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. If you would be opening your Bibles to the book of Genesis, it's the very first book in your Bible, and we'll be looking in just a few minutes in Genesis, uh, the first and second chapter, so just about page four on the Bible that's in the pews there. And we are so thankful to have the opportunity to be a part of this campaign. We're grateful for each one in the congregation that has worked in whatever ways that you have worked to fulfill the great work that's being done. And to God, we give all the glory and the praise. It is such an encouragement to see individuals of every age working in this campaign, from some of our youngest uh, to some of our oldest and everyone in between. It's good to see when a church family all works together and pulls together. Have you ever noticed that relationships are not easy? I know sometimes it seems like that it's easy to be a part of a relationship, but if you look at it over the long haul, there are always times in a relationship where it's just not that easy. I think about the, you know, it always seems like the jokes have a genie that comes out of the bottle and says, I'll give you one wish. And so, so the guy was told, look, you just, just one thing, whatever you want, and you can have it. And so without hesitation, he knew what he wanted. He says, I've always wanted to see a wife, but I'm afraid to fly and I get motion sickness in a boat and can't cruise out there. So I'd like, I'd like to have a bridge that would go from California out to Hawaii so that, that I could drive there. And oh, the genie got so mad and his face was boiling red. And he said, listen here. You have got to be reasonable. Do you realize the architectural wonder that would be to span the Pacific Ocean? How much concrete and steel it would take to go that distance and, to, and, and for the pillars to go all the way to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean? He says, listen here, I want to give you one more try and you think up something that's reasonable. So he thinks for a minute and he says, well, you know, I have always wanted to understand my wife. He said, you know, things like when, when I ask her a question, she says, fine. Is it really fine? Or if I tell her I'm going to go somewhere and she says, you go right ahead. Does she really mean go right ahead? I'd like to understand like why she cries at nothing or when she's biting her bottom lip looking out the window and I say, what's wrong? And she says, nothing. Is really nothing wrong? I'd like to understand why a woman has to have 42 pairs of shoes when there's only 30 days in the month. I'd like to Understand why a woman has to change clothes three times or or needs an hour to get dressed or has to have $75 worth of hair products just to fix her hair. There's a lot of things I just don't understand that that I would really, really like to understand about my wife. Oh, this time the genie is madder than ever. And he says, listen here, buddy. Do you want that bridge two lane or four lane? (laughs) You know, when, when you think about relationships... Sadly enough, the statistics prove that they're not easy. When we think of almost 40 to 50% of divorces, of marriages end in divorce. And then we take the ones that are still married, and a recent study asked, are you happily married? And only 60-something percent said yes. So we got almost half of them ending in divorce. And then of the ones that remain, we have close to 40% of those remainder remainder that say, you know, I'm married, we're surviving, we're hanging in there, but we're sure not happy. Do you think that's the way God designed for it to be? Is that what God wants in our relationships? Does he want almost half to fail? Does he want that a large, a great percentage of those that survive just to endure? 
Or does God design relationships for us to thrive? Isn't it interesting that as the Bible begins, we not only see that God created relationships for us to share in, but it is implied strongly that even the Godhead shares in a relationship? Look in your Bible there to Genesis, the first chapter, and notice how we read verse 26 that I think sometimes we just take the word us for granted. But look in Genesis 1 and 26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image. Who's the us? When we go back earlier in the Bible, in, in Genesis, the first chapter, the very first verse we read in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who's the first member of the Godhead that's mentioned? Notice the the Holy Spirit is mentioned in verse 2 when he says, The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering from the face of the waters. Friends, do you realize God is a God of relationships? Before there was ever mankind, before he ever spoke the universe into existence, there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And when he made us, he made us to also share in relationships As a matter of fact, whenever he created at the end of each day of those six days, he ended each of those by saying, it is good, it is good. And as a matter of fact, if you look in Genesis, the first chapter in verse 31, he indeed, he says, it was very good. But do you remember the first time that we have recorded in the scriptures that God said, hey, it's no longer very good. As a matter of fact, he even reaches a point where he says, this isn't good at all. Notice, if you will, in verse 18, And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper comparable to him. God looks down at Adam and he says, He needs somebody. It's not good. In other words, he needs a relationship. He needs someone to share life with. He needs a companion. And it's interesting that instead of just making Eve immediately and and showing Adam, Eve, and Eve, Adam... He wanted Adam apparently to see that he was alone. Almost as if to build up the appreciation for the other. And so he gives him the task. In the following verses, he says, I want you to name all the birds of the air, and I want you to name all the beasts of the field. Can you think how that day went? Can you imagine looking and saying, okay, I'll call you cattle. You can be a cow and you can be a bull. I'll call you chickens. You can... You can be a rooster and and you can be a hen. I'll call you horses. You can be a stallion and and you can be a mare. And we can take a pretty good guess at which one he named last because he's running out of names. If you've had several children, you know that becomes a problem. And, And so it was probably the sheep that were the end. And finally he looks at the male sheep and he says, uh, ram. And we'll call you, you. No, it probably didn't work that way. But, but, think for just a moment. At the end of all of that, Adam did realize something. Adam recognized the fact. Hey, everything else that God has made that's living creation or creature, they have companionship, even in the animal kingdom. I don't have that. And it's then that we have the first surgery to take place as God puts him into a deep sleep and removes the rib and he makes woman. 
And so now when he comes out of that deep sleep, he continues doing what he'd been doing all day, and that is naming. And so notice when we read verse 23, Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Friends, do you realize in the very beginning, it's not just a fact that God made man and woman, but God made the very first man and woman to share in a relationship. He made marriage at the same time He made Adam and Eve. He made Eve to complete the institution of marriage. In other words, we serve a God from the beginning of creation that says family matters. And I ask you today, does family matter to you? If you're a parent, have you lost priorities? Do you realize, I know any of us, surely any of us parents would say, oh, I love my children. But the things that really matter the most for our children, can we say we have those priorities in line because family matters? As a spouse, can I say, surely all of us would say, I love my spouse, but do we really have the things that matter the most to God in place in our relationships? Because from the very, very beginning, God is showing us relationships matter. Families matter. Friends, we're considering on Sundays now for for a few weeks, 30 days to live. Do you realize if we were to think about 30 days to live, one of the things that would surface very quickly to the top of our list would be relationships. What would you change if you had 30 days to live in your relationship with your spouse? What would you change in relationship with your children or with your parents or with your grandparents or grandchildren? Family matters. People don't lie on their deathbed and think about they wish they had more time in the office. They wish they had more zeros on their payroll. People, when they think about life and they think about what matters, they think about relationships. And God created us when he said, let us make man in our own image. God said, we, the Godhead, a Godhead of relationships, We're going to make man, and we're going to make man in such a way that he will share a relationship with us. We're going to make him in our image that I'll breathe into his nostrils the breath of life, and he'll have a soul, and that soul will not only live on this earth, but he'll live for an eternity with God if we treasure and deal wisely in that relationship. Life on this earth is all, underline that, highlight that, it's all about relationships. What is my relationship with God? What is my relationship with others? Is it the way God has designed that relationship to be? Key word, design. If you want to know the most about something, ask the one who has designed it. God is the one who designed family. God is the one who designed marriage. God is the one who designed it that every child needs parents. God designed childhood, parenthood, husbands and wives. And if we want to be able to truly say, family matters to me, we're going to have to say what God says about family matters the most to me. Look with me, if you will, to Psalm 127. Psalm 127, it's on page 551 in the Bible that is there in the pews. Psalm 127. As we think about serving a God where family matters, we have a very beautiful passage here that tells us about 
how God wants to be involved in the way we build our families, our homes, and our relationships. He says it in, in a very beautiful and, and paints kind of a type of picture here in Psalms 127 and 1. Look at verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. He speaks of two things here. He speaks of building relationships and guarding relationships. First, he says, unless the Lord builds the house, they, who's they here? They are those that decide they want to build their house without letting the Lord be the master builder of their home. And he says, they labor in vain. So he immediately in this verse, he divides everybody into one of two categories. There are going to be those that say, Lord, we want to have a marriage the way you want us to have a marriage. So what we're saying is, Lord, we invite you to build our marriage. They, on the other hand, are those who say, Lord, we want to do it our way. And he says, they're going to labor in vain. Vain is empty. It's worthless. They're going to spin their wheels. They're going to find out that what they're building, even though they may have worked very hard on it, they're going to find out it doesn't produce what God can produce. I want you to think for a moment of two vacant lots. And I want you to imagine on one particular lot, a a couple decides to build a house and they invite a master builder, a skilled workman to come in and oversee this job. He knows the exact products that ought to be brought in. He knows the exact plan that needs to be followed and he knows how to follow it exactly. And so working along with the ones that want this house built, this lovely, beautiful, sound structure is built. People come down the streets and they admire it. Oh, isn't that beautiful? They walk in and all the amenities that are needed for this family are there. And the house is so sound, the structure, you wouldn't mind at all being in this house during a storm. But on the other hand, there's this second vacant lot. And there's this young couple that that they decide they want to build a house on this lot. But they do not invite a master builder. But they're still excited. They run down to Lowe's or Home Depot and and they spend a lot of money and they come out to this site and and they have all the, the products that they think they need, but they have never built a house before. They don't know how to build a house on their own. They think that a foundation has to be dug somewhat. They think that maybe you make it out of block, maybe wood. They're not for sure about that. They're trying to figure it out. They don't know how to mix mortar and and put block together and build a foundation, but they do the best that they can do, and they work so hard. They work day and night because they're committed to building a great home, and they work and they toll, but yet when they get done, it hardly resembles a house. It looks more like what kids would make in the backyard, and no one would ever think of living there because it's obvious it's not going to stand very long. The truth is you wouldn't want to walk in it because... It wouldn't stand for long. And what if a storm came? You know it won't endure any kind of winds or rain. Friends, you can picture those two. Do you realize how many people today put far more time and money into planning their wedding than they do in building a marriage? Do you realize today that probably one of the most common mistakes that's made is tremendous amounts of energy is placed into creating a special wedding day and hardly no thought at all is given to how to create a marriage. Just because a couple walks down an aisle 
after they are pronounced husband and wife, does not by any stretch of the imagination mean that they know how to build a marriage. Unless the Lord builds the home, the house, the marriage, they labor in vain who build it. Friends, why is there so much disappointment and destruction in relationships? It's because God is not the builder of those relationships. And so we think about what the Lord says here. He says, I've got to be involved in this. But not only does he say I have to be involved in the building of it, he says I've got to be involved in the guarding and the protection of it. Notice he likens this to protecting a city because they could understand that well. He says, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You know, the only way a city had any strength in that day and time was to be a fortified city. You remember why Nehemiah wanted to go back and build the wall? It wasn't because he had some kind of just fetish for walls. He loved God's people and he knew that God's people could never be a strong nation unless they were fortified in their city. And so he wanted their enemies. Remember, once the wall was half built, the enemies were stirred up and they said, we've got to stop this. Why? Because the fortification proved power. It proved the ability to guard. And so here we see this. You've got to have this fortified city. What would be among the high walls and the strong gates? There would be towers. When a city went to bed at night, what did they want to know? Before I rest peaceful, before I think that my family's safe tonight, I want to know that there are guards that I can trust that are in those towers. And I want to know those guards are going to stay awake all night. And I'm going to want to know that they are looking out for enemies that would hurt my home. Friends, do you realize that on our own, we don't have enough wisdom to know how to build a marriage that is thriving and surviving well and is doing wonderful things for the glory of God. On our own, we don't know how to guard a marriage that is strong. The Lord says, you've got to let me be the master builder of that and you've got to let me guard it. Friends, we shouldn't sleep well. We shouldn't be content until we know that God is building our relationships and God is protecting our relationships. How does God build and protect? You realize that a part of of that building and protecting comes down to the simple fact of us learning what God's design is and following it. Let's look at one area where God lays out some real simple guidelines and notice that if we do these things and heed His warnings, we're building and being built by Him and and we're allowing Him to guard our lives. But if we're not, He's not building us and He's not guarding us. and, And what happens? The end is destruction. One of the best ways we could illustrate this point, and it and it could be studied under many different commands in the scriptures. But I'd like for you to turn to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Here's one time that that we see one particular teaching where the Lord says, if you follow this, you're going to build as you ought to build. And you're going to allow me to protect as you ought to be protected. But if you don't, what you build is going to be in vain. As a matter of fact, I won't guard it. And when I won't guard it, you're going to experience destruction. Notice what he says here as we read Matthew, the fifth chapter. That's on page 853 in the Bible that is in the pews there, 853. Notice what he says in Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 27. You have heard that it was said to those of old, 
you shall not commit adultery. You see, the, the idea of adultery uh, being a factor that definitely does not build strong homes and it definitely does not protect strong homes, it's not something new. It, it's been a problem almost since the very beginning. Now notice, notice what he says here. Jesus says, okay, I want to take this teaching that you understand. And he says, I want to teach you from a little bit deeper angle. Now, think about in our homes, our physical houses, what do we want? We want to be safe. We want locks and keys. Uh, probably a lot of our men, uh, I mean, a lot of our women, maybe even some of our men, you know, you, you would feel very uncomfortable going to sleep at night knowing that, that your door was unlocked. Um, several of you probably say, hey, I want to make sure that, that our security uh, is set. We want to make sure that we are safe right now. The Lord says, okay, you want to build something safe? When you read in the Old Testament, it's real clear that adultery is not going to keep you safe. But he said, now Jesus says, I want to back up from that. I, I want to show you something that will even add more security. I want to show you something that if you put it in place, it would be like the security company coming out and saying, hey, we can really beef up this security. We can help you have all the protection that you could ever need. And, you know, we might say, yeah, yeah, that's what I want. We want, we want a marriage that's safe. We want a marriage that, that's very secure. We want to build strong and we want to protect what we have. And Jesus says, okay, let's take it a little deeper. Look in verse 28. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So the Lord says, listen, instead of just thinking about the physical acts that destroy, we need to think about the heart and where desire lies. And and he says, for example, if we can guard that, we can protect that. If we can build this the way God wants it to be built. And so he says in 29, here's some things that we might have to do to build and put this security in place. If your right eye causes you to sin... Pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. So here we have a danger. What, what, about, what about adultery? He says, well, don't do that, but let me show you how to avoid that. The way to avoid that is control your desire. Lust simply means sinful desire. And he says, I want you to control that. Well, how do you control that? He says, I want you to think about what feeds the heart. Now, you know, the heart can only be reached through five senses. Nobody can touch your heart unless they touch your heart through your ears, through your eyes, through your nose, through your mouth, or through your touch. That's the only way the heart can be reached. And he mentions, he mentions a couple of these right here. He says, listen, if you're having problems with desiring things that are sinful... Figure out where the sense is that it's coming in. If it's coming in through your eye, take your dominant eye, your right eye, and pluck it out. If it's coming in through your touch, take your dominant hand, take your right hand and, 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 and cut it off. In other words, the Lord's saying, you have got to listen to my commands and I can help you build. You listen to my commands and I can help guard. You don't listen to me? You're like this couple on this vacant lot that you're spinning your wheels. You're like this city that goes to bed at night and the enemy is quickly approaching and there's nobody up in the towers and everybody says, oh, isn't this wonderful? We're doing real well. And then destruction comes. What does all of this help save? Notice the very next two verses. Furthermore, it's been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. 
But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Friends, think about protection. Think about security and building relationships, and think about how the Lord works through this. The Lord says, okay, you want to avoid destruction of the home, divorce? Avoid adultery. You want to avoid adultery physically? Avoid adultery in the heart. You want to avoid adultery in the heart? Control what comes into your heart by your senses. Now somebody says, back to Psalms 127.1, somebody says, I want the Lord building my house. I want the Lord guarding my house. Do you realize that it's coming down to this? I'm going to think on the things God wants me to think upon and I'm going to guard myself from the things God does not want inside my heart. First and greatest commandment, love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have to protect what we take within us, or we cannot allow God to build within us what He intends for us to be. Look with me, if you will, to Romans, the 13th chapter. A few more pages over in your Bible. It's 1009 on the Pew Bible. Romans, the 13th chapter. Now, I ask you to keep this, this teaching in mind that we just went over from, from the book of Matthew, and now let's just come back and support those things in this last part of our lesson. Notice this. Somebody says, oh, what I want is I want a relationship that is built on love. And sometimes we get so wrapped up in we want it to be romantic and we want it to be uh, emotional that we forget the fact that the very, very core of genuine love is made up of agape, and that is made up of a decision to do what is right and best. And friends, when we are sharing in relationships where those involved in the relationship are practicing agape, they have made a decision to do what is right and best, unconditionally, sacrificially, then the emotions will come from it. Then you will have relationships that you say, I love so-and-so, and in that we mean emotionally. But here we see a definition of agape. Notice what he says in 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. We owe that to everyone. We owe that to our enemies. Someone says, how can you love an enemy? It's agape. You do what is right and best toward them. How can you love your spouse? You do what is right and best toward them. How can you love God? You do what is right and best toward God. Now, here's what love will not do. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. Say that. Why why would you not commit adultery? Because in committing adultery, we do not practice genuine love. And someone says, oh, yeah, yeah, I tell you what, that's why I committed adultery is because I love the other person. No, you do not do things that harms people's relationship with God and call that love. I know the world does. As a matter of fact, the world will call it a love affair. But genuine love doesn't do things that hurts people's soul. And so here we see the very teaching that, verse 9, we're not going to commit adultery. Why? Because we love. We're not going to murder. Why? Because we love and steal and bear false witness and, and, and any other commandments. Notice, it's all summed up in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Here's another description of love in verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love does what is good towards people. And we're talking about spiritual spiritual good towards people. And so anytime we are doing things that provokes wrong in the life of our children, we're not really loving them. Anytime children provoke wrong in the life of the parents, they're not really loving them. 
Anytime a spouse says, I'm going to get back at them, we don't really love them. And the Lord says, we owe everybody this love. Why? Because when we do that, we're building up the relationship by God's standard. He's building and working within us. God is protecting us. And so notice this as we move eventually uh, through 11 through 14. Notice this. And do this, knowing the time that now is the high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than we first believed. Isn't it wonderful to think about relationships and think now is the time to make it right? Isn't now the time to make every relationship that you share in right from your standpoint? You know, that, and that's the difficult thing about relationships. We can't live both lives that are involved in the relationship, but we can live our life. We can live our life so we say we're doing everything that we can do to awaken spiritually, to do what is right in this relationship. And now notice in 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Notice this, let us walk properly. There is a way to properly conduct ourselves in love. We owe everybody love. Are you sharing that love that does what is right and best? Here's some things that if we're doing these, we are not sharing in a relationship properly with others. As in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Let's pause here for a moment. We have a lot of young people here that aren't married. Does everybody here realize that they're doing things right now that will affect their marriage? They're making decisions today that will affect the kind of husband and wife that they will be. Why? All a husband and a wife is, is they are a person. They are either a person who is spiritually well and whole, or they are a person that is living by the flesh, carnal, or maybe they're kind of somewhere in between. They're a person that is trying to be spiritual, but they're not, and they're struggling, and and they're kind of lukewarm and, and in between. So our young people right now are making decisions if they're going to allow these three categories to come into their life. They're going to see if if the revelry, the wild parties, the drunkenness, the substance, is that going to become a part of the future husband's life? Is that going to become a part of the future wife's life? Or... The sexual immorality of the lewdness and the lust. Who's more likely? Who's more likely to be sexual immoral while they're married? Statistics say those who are sexually immoral while they're single. Common sense would tell you the ones who are more likely to suffer with addictions while they're married will be those that suffered with addictions while they were single. The strife and the envy. How many husbands and wives say, we just cannot get along. He or she is at my throat all the time. Do you think that that nature of being full of strife and coarseness, rudeness, 
Do you think that it started the day that he or she said, I do? In other words, they were very peaceful, loving people, and all of a sudden they said, I do, and and now this person comes out that's so hard to live with? No. Friends, do you see the point? So many of our husbands and wives that are struggling today after X number of years of marriage, their struggle isn't something new as a marital problem. Their struggle is... They haven't built their life individually by God. And God is not guarding their life as an individual. And that individual that has not allowed God to build their life or guard their life has now joined into a marriage. And the same destruction that they were bringing into their life individually, now they bring into a marriage. Friends, we can't have a person that is destructive spiritually enter into a marital relationship and all of a sudden, boom! Now we have a very strong, godly relationship. There's no magic about marriage. You put a loser in life in a marriage and you have a marriage that's made up of at least one that's a loser. You put someone who doesn't love the Lord into a marriage and you have half of the marriage at least that doesn't love the Lord. You put someone who doesn't care to make Christ the highest priority in their life and you have at least one spouse that does not have Christ as a priority in their life and you have at least one parent that doesn't have Christ as a priority in their life. So the whole question this evening, we've really said all of this to come to this this simple point. Friends, if we want to allow God to build our homes and allow God to guard our homes, family matters to God. And if I really am saying truthfully, family matters to me, what I'm saying is, God, I want you to work on me. God, I'm turning my whole life over to you. God, I'm not going to be driven by substances and and things of this earth that, that power me. I want to be driven by your power. God, I'm not going to be sexually immoral. I want to be pure single and married. God, I'm not going to be driven by strife and by envy and by anger. I want to be driven and I want the fruit of the Spirit to describe my life. How can all of that happen? Read that last verse in 14. We're still in Romans 13. Look at verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Two families or two individuals. We can either put on the Lord. And remember last night, we learned that putting on the Lord begins as we put Him on in baptism. But that's a life that says, Lord, no longer am I going to live like I used to live. No longer is my life about fulfilling or making provisions to fulfill fulfill the lust thereof. Not like this couple over here that thinks, hey, we can do it ourselves. We're wise in our own self. We know how this is done. We don't know how it's done. That's destruction. We come over here and say, I'll put on the Lord. And I'm not going to make any provisions. Now in your mind, tie this back to Matthew 5. What do I have to do to not make provisions? I have to pluck out my right eye sometime. 
I have to cut off my right hand sometime. In other words, if I want to build a life that avoids the destruction of divorce, that avoids adultery, that avoids an impure heart, I've got to say as an individual, Lord, I want Christ to reign in my life. Lord, I want to be whole and righteous with you. And friends, you give your family a faithful Christian in you. And you've given your family everything they need from you. Everything. Because if the Lord is building our life and guarding our life, and if the others in our family are allowing the same thing, the Lord is building our life and the Lord is guarding it. Several years ago, one of my closest friends, he's close as a brother, from way back when we were in kindergarten together and even went through college together. He called me a little bit after 10 one night and this big strapping 6'4 guy that was tough as a pine knot. I could tell when he said my name that something was terribly wrong and he was crying. And I said his name and I said, what, what's wrong? And he gathered his composure and he said these words. She's left me. She's left for another guy and she won't come back. We were five or six hours apart at that time and I confirmed where he was and I said, I'll be there in a few hours. And as I started driving that night, I was so angry at her. I knew her well. We went to college together. We'd eaten hundreds of meals together. We'd double-dated oodles of times. Oh, I was so mad at her. I couldn't believe that she would do that. And I couldn't believe she'd do that to my friend. And I couldn't believe she'd do that to us. I just couldn't believe it. And I remember on the trip that night, after several hours of just so, so much anger, I remember the first time that evening, I remember my hands were still at 10 and 2 as I continued to grip the steering wheel so tight over and over. I remember the moment that it flashed through my mind. Satan's throwing a party. This is all Satan's wanted. From the moment they said, I do, this is all he has wanted. He slowly crept his way into, into their marriage and into her life. He didn't have to get both of them. He just wanted to get one of them. Because if he can destroy one, he can destroy that godliness that could be a part of that entire marriage. I remember at that moment, not violently, but I remember at that moment hitting the steering wheel without even thinking about it, just saying out loud, I hate you, Satan. And I made a vow to my God that if He allowed me to continue to be a minister for however long, I would give everything that I could to fight Satan to keep him from destroying homes. 
I don't ever do a gospel meeting now. Unless there's one lesson on the family. Because family matters. And we have got to stay aware of the fact that we have an enemy. And he knows families matter. And he wants to destroy us. There's not anybody here in a godly relationship that Satan does not want to destroy that relationship. If you have a godly relationship with your children, I promise you Satan is working to try to destroy it. If you have a godly relationship with your spouse, I promise you Satan is trying to destroy it. If you have a godly relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, I promise you Satan is trying to destroy the godliness of that relationship. And you can't win it alone. All we have to do is step away from God. And Satan's won. Tonight, I beg all of us, all of us to remember the gift of relationship that God gave us in the very beginning of time in the very beginning of the Bible it all starts out with relationships and in the end when we stand before God on the day of judgment it's all going to end with relationship do you have a righteous relationship with God that's all that's going to matter and if we have a, a righteous relationship with God, we're going to be righteous in every other relationship in our life. That's the blessing of a relationship with God. He builds our life. He guards our life. He puts things in proper perspective. And so tonight, let's leave here with eyes open for the enemy, but realize that the only way that's protected is by bowing down and submitting at the Savior's feet. Are you right with God? You can't say you want to be right in relationships if you're not right with God. If you've never been baptized into Christ, why not tonight? As a believer, who's willing to repent and confess? Maybe you have become a Christian, but you've lost that close relationship with God and you want to come back to Him tonight. And that's the beautiful thing about God. He always wants to restore relationships. He wants it so much that He gave His only Son for us on the cross. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.